in here now. Can you feel it? Yeah. Maybe, would you like to move a bit closer? Yeah? That would be awesome. Then we'll be even warmer. It's great to see you this morning. Thank you, Father God, for a brand new day. Thank you, Father, for your gift. Lord Jesus, I thank you that we have the victory. Thank you, Father. Yeah. 
Good morning. How are you doing on this brisk morning? A little bit cool, isn't it? Very good. You took the opportunity to clap your hands a few times and get some blood moving through your body. Let's pray. Father, I thank You that we can gather together this morning to celebrate Jesus, to lift You up, to honour You. And it's our privilege to do so. I thank You that we can come together so easily and so freely. And this morning, Lord, we open our hearts before You. Holy Spirit, You are most welcome in this place. And have Your way this morning. Speak into every person's life, I pray in Jesus' name. And that this morning seeds would be deposited that would cause significant kingdom change as time moves on. So we open ourselves to You with a real sense of inviting You. Father, I declare Your blessing over our city, over the leaders of our city, over our mayor, over our nation, over the Prime Minister, over the the, um, politicians. We know You're at work all around the globe. Thank You that we can put our faith and our trust in You. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Why don't you say hello to three or four people around you and do it energetically so you don't get cold. Great to see you and a very warm welcome. Winter, if you're wondering, winter has really arrived, hasn't it? Yeah. Hey, that was a bit uh, that was a bit rough this morning. Got in the fridge to come to church, but that's the way it goes this time of year. It's great to see you. And uh, look, we're in for a real treat this morning. And uh, we've got Shane Willard with us all the way from America. Uh, he's not in here quite yet. He's just getting some stuff ready. And um, you're going to be really treated. You need to prepare your mind and your heart this morning to be expanded. And uh, Shane, uh, we've been friends with Shane for a long, long time now, well over a decade. And uh, every time I hear him, I'm fascinated by what he presents. And um, I just love it. I don't always agree with what he presents necessarily, but I love it because it stirs me and it, and it just engages me. And it, it's great. You're, you're, we're in for a real treat. So that'll be great. So welcome. If you're with, uh, visiting with us this morning, this is your first or second time. It's great to have you here. And um, can I encourage you at the end of the meeting, there's a table at the back and there's some white bags. There'll be someone there. Uh, Go and help yourself to a bag. Introduce yourself to the people or they'll introduce themselves to you. And uh, we'd love to get some details off you if possible. Uh, Give you a bit more information about the church. We'd like to help you any way we can. So that's down the back at the end of the meeting. 
Has anyone had a birthday or a celebration, like you've got engaged or wedding anniversary, anything this week? Is Kayla still in here? They announced baby number four is coming this week. Come on. That's worth celebrating. So these are all birthdays this week. Anniversary, how many years? Seven. Congratulations. It gets like that after five, I think. I think. The rest are birthdays. Happy birthday. Come on. 19, 41. Very good. Very good. I wonder what it feels like being that old. Do you understand that? We're going to pray for them. <laughs> Here we go. Let's bless these guys. Father, thank you for your family. We declare blessing, health, favour, prosperity, purpose and protection over them this year. Activate your love and goodness through each one. In Jesus' name, Amen. Happy birthdays and anniversaries. Well, I've got a couple of... Um, Actually, we're going to play a video first. Is that? We'll give it a crack, eh? See if it works. We've had a couple of little issues this morning on the technical side, but we'll see if it plays. This is from when I was in India recently. Hi there, Activate Church. Thank you so much for your partnership with the Harvest Apostolic Ministries in India. But even before that, since 1994, when I was in the Bible College in Singapore, your church in Hamilton and the Christ Church, it is these two churches that supported me even for my Bible College training. So it has been 23 long years now and uninterrupted partnership. And today, it is almost 18 years since I came to India. We have little over 100 churches about 120 staff and the ministry is continuing to grow. I believe we are just stepping into another phase where they're changing the gear. Acceleration is taking place. By 2030, we believe we will be able to plant a thousand churches and through networking, another 4,000 churches. I talked all about this to Pastor Sheridan. I think he will give you the details. But thank you for believing in me and partnering with me. Two more years to go, we will celebrate our Silver Jubilee. It's exciting, isn't it? It's great when you've passed. I'm not really interested personally in, in fly-by-nighters. I love doing life with people, being on the journey long-term. And it's great when you go back to the 90s with someone. And, um, you know, you've been on the, on the journey all the way. Pastor Rex and Irene are here this morning. They discovered Kumar, Pastor Kellyan, in Singapore, didn't you? And so that whole connection came through you guys. That's awesome. I think they deserve a big hand. That is amazing. So. That's great. Let, let me, um, they're doing some great things, but let me tell you just something off the cuff. Pastor Kellyan um, has been taking trips into the Bible lands. He's, he's done quite a lot of them now. And uh, him and I are trying to put together a plan where I'm hoping to lead a trip into the Bible lands next April, if you're interested. We're just trying to secure the price, etc. It looks like we will be able to do it for $5,000 a head. That will include your airfares, accommodation, food, everything. All you've got to do is turn up at the airport. 
and um, in April next year, and I've got to fill 46 seats to make it happen. So I'll be starting here, then I'll be going nationwide. So we're just trying to nail down the, um, the, the airline company at the moment. But if that interests you, because that'll absolutely change your... Well, start talking to Pastor Ray and Wendy about their trip there, and you won't stop them in a hurry. It changes the way that you see everything about the Bible, etc. So just so you know, that's... Um, there's a possibility there for next April. Well, there's a couple of things you need to know about. Um, we're having a great month with our global mandate. This last week, we had a seminar on Wednesday night about trafficking and um, slavery. Did you know that slavery, there are more slaves in the world right now than there's ever been in history? It's crazy. And um, it, it really is a dilemma for our planet. Probably population-wise, there may be less, but it really is a dilemma, um, percentage of population, for our planet. And um, it's really, really good to be able to be involved with trying to make a difference there. I will have some numbers for you in the next little while, but I know that in this last year through our global uh, mandate, we managed to um, sponsor, I think it was five or ten, I can't remember now, women that had been trafficked uh, through their whole counselling thing to help rehabilitate them. We had uh, care packs go into... Uh, places and help women that have been trafficked and stuff. So we, we're getting onto that kind of way of thinking because I think it's something that we need to address and it's something that we can help with as a church. And uh, so that was really, really exciting. Of course, Anna and Nam are working with people all the time that have been trafficked and slaved in villages throughout the world and we, we're right behind what they're doing. So it's really, really exciting and I can feel a big shift taking place in our global mandate that's um, addressing these kind of issues and we need to be involved with those kind of issues as a church so be encouraged it's happening so anyway tear fund this next friday so friday coming the 26th at 7 p.m here are launching their ethical fashion guide and it's going to be a fashion show and all uh all sorts of things are going to be happening but in essence their their ethical fashion guide is about they've surveyed and worked with all these businesses and they know where the clothes come from and they can tell you, they, everyone gets a grade, A to F, and they can tell you what companies, what businesses are making an effort, effort in the whole area of slavery and not exploiting people and other companies that are exploiting. If you've got that information, we can then buy clothing and different things from people that we know are helping, not making things worse, just about going everyday, your everyday life can actually make an impact and make it better for someone else. So that's going to be very, very good. Next Friday, it's going to be great, and I encourage you to be here. There's a men's breakfast next Saturday, so that'll be exciting too. 7 a.m. You'll love it. Well, Tina. Tina is going to lead us around communion this morning. Tina is an amazing lady. I don't want to embarrass you. But can I just tell a little bit of that story that you told me last week about the man on the... Or are you going to tell it? So just asking God for opportunities in, in the mundane of life. And Tina's standing at the lights going to the bank in town. And she has this conversation with a guy that ends up being a faith conversation. And I just think that's fantastic. I don't need the de- You don't need the details. But it's absolutely fantastic. Standing at the lights... Going to the bank, how much more mundane thing can you do than that? It's just what you do, and it ends up in a faith conversation. Brilliant. You can do that too. Easy. Thank you. Awesome. Good morning. Thank you, host church. Uh, sorry, host team. You're onto it. Great. 
So um, please hold the emblems and we'll take them together soon. So I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11 from the Message Bible and Paul is speaking. Let me go over with you again exactly what goes on in the Lord's Supper and why it is so centrally important. I received my instructions from the Master himself and passed them on to you. The Master Jesus, on the night of his betrayal, took bread. Having given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body broken for you. Do this to remember me. After supper, he did the same thing with the cup. This cup is my blood, my new covenant with you. Each time you drink this cup, remember me. So would you agree that taking communion is something that is very special? It has deep meaning. It's a rich heritage where Jesus takes the tradition of Passover and gives it a new significance. We have the privilege to fellowship together in an act of worship. So this time is precious and sacred. Jesus said, do this to remember me. So by taking the bread and juice, We are expressing our union with Jesus. I'm in you and you're in me. The two of us have become one. Yes, communion is so important. So maybe that is why Paul told us in Corinthians that we need to take a good long look at what we're doing and what's going on in our hearts when we participate in the Lord's Supper. So Paul carries on to say from verse 27, Anyone who eats the bread or drinks the cup of the master irreverently is like part of the crowd that jeered and spit on him at his death. Is that the kind of remembrance you want to be part of? Examine your motives, test your heart, come to this meal in holy awe. So one word comes to mind when I read that. Ouch! Oh, I have to say that there was a check in my heart when I pondered over the scripture, it was like a spiritual owie. You know, remember as, as mums, when the littlies have um, hurt themselves and they come running to you and you coo and you say over them, mummy, kiss your owie better, and they you know, nod their head and it does. Well, perhaps you may need a kiss from heaven this morning. If you're coming to communion and something is not stirred in you, then ask God for a shift to take place. Take a moment to ask, how are we doing, God? How long has it been since we've talked, really talked together? Is there anything I need to do to get right with you, Lord? Is there blockage that needs to go? If so, ask God for an exchange to happen, your need for his supply, just like I needed to do. So through the bread and the juice, we remember how much God loves us. If it's been a while, How about telling God how much you love him back? My plea is that you don't miss what God may want to do in yours and my heart today. So communion not only looks back to Jesus' death, burial and resurrection, but it also looks forward to his return as King of kings and Lord of lords. And I love that. I love that we get to celebrate all that Jesus has done on our behalf and is doing and is going to do. So if you have your emblems, please hold them out in front of you. Look at them. I'll hold this. <laughs> um, so this morning, you know, we had the privilege to remember again that Jesus not only gave his life for us, he gave his life to us. 
and we celebrate what He has done in us and to us and through us. So I'll pray now and then please pray, ponder and take the emblems in your own time. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the significance of the bread and juice, your body given for us, your blood poured out for us. Stir our hearts afresh this morning because you have redeemed us. Cause a shift to take place in our hearts if need be. Help us to behold you in all your fullness. May we leave with a deeper passion for your goodness and presence and purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. when you're ready please stand and we'll continue in our worship i 
What a powerful name it is, the name 
nothing can stand against What a powerful name it is The name of Jesus What a powerful name it is The name of Jesus What a powerful name it is The name of Jesus Jesus The mention of your name is powerful The mention of the name Jesus is powerful
start to lift your voices to him, out of your hearts, give him some praise, thank him this morning, thank you Father, we exalt you, we exalt you Jesus, we lift you up, we command our souls to lift you up, to lift the name of Jesus, we celebrate you, we exalt you, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. You are worthy of all the praise, the honor, and the glory. song. It's got to be one of my all-time favourites. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, it is, as I said earlier, it's amazing to have 
Shane with us this morning, Shane Willard from Charleston, South Carolina. And uh, we've known each other a lot of years now. And uh, I love being on life's journey. I love watching what's happening in his world where God's taking him. And, you know, we really are privileged this morning. Shane, Shane speaks to crowds of thousands all over the planet. And uh, we've got him in Hamilton, New Zealand. That's pretty cool, isn't it? So why don't you give him a massive big hand as he comes. Thank you very much. You can be seated. Oh, thanks. That would be great. Thank you very much. You can be seated. We're going to start in the book of Colossians and uh, take a bit of a journey. We're going to start in Colossians, go back to Exodus, stop for Genesis for a second, come back to the Gospels all in 30 minutes. So this is going to be fantastic. You can't believe how good this is going to be. All right. So on your way out today, for those of you who don't know me, this is all I do for a living. I travel the world and speak. I've had the incredible privilege of being mentored by a pastor with his rabbi training. So all my stuff comes from that bent. I also have a master's degree in clinical psychology. So careful what you say to me because I am skilled to sort your whole head out. You can't believe it. Um, on, your, on your way out, there's a big giant table taking up the entire foyer area. If you cannot find my table, seek medical help. It's taking up the entire foyer. And if you look at that and you think, man, why would you carry all that stuff around with you? The reason is, is because we make a lot of money from it. And the reason we do that is because we believe, as you believe, that we're under a global mandate. A mandate not to just go to heaven when we die, but a mandate to partner with the risen Christ to bring heaven to every place we see hell right here. And so 100% of every dollar we make from that table, um, we give to the poor and the afflicted. We have three orphanages in China that look after mentally handicapped kids, two in Hinyang, one in Changsha. We also have a recovery home in Cape Town that is now officially recognized by the Department of Justice as a viable diversion option to Polesmore Prison. Um, we, we minister to gang members, but that self-sustains because we make them work. But when the girls come out of sex trafficking, can't really do that to them. And so, um, so that's what we use to sustain that. Just one quick testimony from that table. In the month of April, it went so well at that table that we were able to give 5000 extra dollars um, to India to help build a leper colony uh, for some untouchables there. And so 20 people, including myself, gave $5,000 um, to help build 20 um, viable residence sort of shelters for people who were living in cardboard boxes before. Because we think that's not okay. That is not okay for people living like that. And, so, and in, that, in, in that vein, that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. I want to talk to you about your global mandate to confront oppression. I want to talk to you about that side of the gospel. Now, let me show you. This is what Paul, this is Paul's observation to the church at Colossae. <clears throat> if you could bring that up for me, please. This is Colossians chapter 2. And it says, once you were dead, yeah, here we go. Once when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Now, I went and looked that word up all in Greek, and the word all there is actually all. So when all says all, let's leave all all, because if all doesn't mean all, we run the risk of us not being at all. So when it says all, let's leave all all, because it's better when it's all, and then we change it to not all, that runs the risk of us being not in all. So when it says all, let's leave it all, because it's better when it's all. <clears throat> Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, 
He took it away by nailing it to the cross. So one side of the cross is the forgiveness of sins. And I want to give the forgiveness of sins and atonement and substitution and, and redemption. I want to give that a 30-second shout-out, right? Like, we, we honor that, right? And we embrace that. And we call that true and lovely. And Shane Willard calls that true and lovely. And it, and it deserves an entire 10-part series on its own. But when you've got 30 minutes to talk about the other side, you can't spend too much time talking about this side. And, and I, that doesn't mean we don't honor it. It just means that in one 30-minute session, you can only choose one thing to talk about. But part of the cross's story is the forgiveness of sins, and we embrace that and thank God for it. But there's another side to it. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross. So one part of the cross is the forgiveness of sins, and we embrace that and say yes. The other part of the cross evidently is a public defeat of things that are oppressing you. So, so in other words, God doesn't, Paul's observation is, is God doesn't just want to forgive you for something. He wants to set you free from the slavery that that thing brings, uh, to be specific. God doesn't just want to forgive you for an anger outburst. God wants to set you free from the hold anger might have on you. God doesn't just want to forgive you for your moment of lust in front of a computer screen. God wants to set you free from what that lust might bring to your life in the form of slavery. So there is the forgiveness of sins, but evidently to Paul, the gospel goes way deeper than that, and it's not just forgiveness. Because that would be one long life if you were forgiven but not set free from something. Like if you're forgiven and still a slave, that's a real problem. That's a very long life to live. That, that the gospel goes further than that, and it confronts what Presses you. Now, to understand this, we got to go back to Exodus. As far as I know, and according to N.T. Wright, this is the first mention in the whole Bible of the idea of where we get the word salvation from. This is from the book of Exodus, uh, chapter 3. And the Lord said, I've indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt, and I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I'm going to come down and rescue them. The word rescue there, you could easily translate, I've come down to save them. I'm going to come down and deliver them. It's where we get the word salvation from. So the original context of where we get salvation from is not heaven or hell. That had nothing to do with it in this context. It had to do with somebody or something is doing something to you, and God is not happy with what that's doing to you, and he is going to save you here, now, today, from that. So let's say it this way. There's one sense that salvation is someday, someday, someday the lion and the lamb, someday no more pain, someday no more crying, someday, what, let's just call it this, someday heaven. And yes, we embrace that. But there's a whole nother side of salvation that is here, now, today. There's one side of salvation that is someday. There's another side of salvation that is God, essentially, let's say it this way. God is not happy with what something is doing to you, and he's going to set you free from that now, today. It's the in-your-face confrontation to oppression. Now, to understand that, we have to understand something else, because there's all this beautiful literary imagery in these stories. This is from Genesis chapter 2, very early in the story. This is what it says. A river was watering the garden, and it flowed from Eden, and from there it separated into four headwaters. The name of the first was called Pishon, and it winds through the entire land of Havilah where there's gold. Oh, and by the way, the gold was perfect. Now, there, there's, uh, there, there's a lot of liter literary imagery going on here, and for the sake of time, I'm going to have to really hurry through this, right? So you're just going to have to take my word for it. Um, just, just trust me. I have no reason to lie about this. All right, so the word Pishon in its root has to do with something being consumed, but then it burst forth 
with multiplication. The idea is like if you could think of an extinct volcano that appeared dead, but suddenly it's, rum- it's rummaging forth with new life. Like we thought there was no hope, but now suddenly where we thought something was dead, it's rummaging with new life. The idea is the word hope. The idea is, is that there's hope in the middle of something that appears hopeless. That is Pishon. The, the word Havila is the word suffering. So when the ancient Hebrew people read this, they would read, there's a river called hope and it's flowing through the entire land of suffering. In other words, if you're in the land of suffering, there's a river called hope flowing somewhere in it. You just got to go find it. And how do you know when you found the river of hope? Lots of rivers in the land of suffering. There's a river called give up, river called sell out, river called compromise, river called make matters worse. You don't want to do that. What you want to do is you want to find the river of hope. And it says, you know, you found the river of hope because there's perfect gold in the riverbed. The, 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 the word, remember ancient Hebrew was written in pictures, not letters. They learned to write in Egypt. The pictures on the word gold says this, behold, the one who brings a substance for survival brings it to us in the house of God. So you got this gold. And, and the, the other part of this that I, I know to be true because I've seen it with my own two eyes, um, there was a scientist in Perth, Australia that showed me this. Evidently, if you take perfect gold, it takes one part of perfect gold to 100,000 parts of water, and it'll turn all the water blood red. He, he was telling me it's how, it's how you make stained glass. All they need is one part of perfect gold and 100,000 parts of water, and it'll turn all of it blood red. So just to make sure you're following me in this very sort of quick exegesis, is if there's a river called Hope and there's perfect gold in the riverbed, what color would that river be? It would be red. It would be blood red. So just to summarize this, let's say it this way. There's a river called hope, and it's winding through the entire land of suffering. Because behold, the one who brings the substance for survival brings it to us in the house of God through a river of blood. That would be Genesis chapter 2. Now, fast forward to Exodus. I've indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt, and I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I'm going to come down and rescue them from suffering. I'm going to confront the oppressor. Think through your Sunday school classes, right? He does it through a series of 10 plagues. What was the first plague? All the water turned to blood. So to the Egyptians, that would have been a curse. But to the Hebrew people, there would have been a buzz in the camp. Hey, did you hear? All the water's turning red. Hope is fixing to flow through suffering. All the way back in Genesis chapter 2, anytime water turned red to the Israelite people, that meant that they might be in the land of suffering, but hope is fixing to flow through that suffering. When water turns red, that's a good day. Think, Think about the narrative. All the water turns to blood. They end up getting free. God walks them to where? The banks of the Red Sea. Red water, hope flows through suffering. They they get over the Red Sea, and Moses goes up the mountain. God says, oh, I forgot to tell you to bring Aaron. He walks all the way back down the mountain, which would have been a weird conversation. He comes down the mountain, and what does he find? He finds them worshiping a gold cow. He loses the plot beats the gold cow into powder and makes them do what? He makes them throw the gold into the water that's coming out of the rock. And he makes them drink it for the redemption of their sins. Hang on a second. If they put gold in that water, what color does it become? Red. Hope flows through suffering. This is even in nature. I've never given birth, nor have I ever seen someone give birth, nor do I think I've missed anything. But 
here's all I know about what giving birth is. I've learned it all from TV because there's nothing, that's where you get your facts, okay? When a woman's really pregnant and she goes into labor, this is what they say happens on TV. She'll go, oh, my water broke. And then the water comes down. And then she enters into a time of labor or suffering. And in labor, there's two fluids that mix together. There is blood and there is water. And when blood and water come together, out comes a bundle of joy. So that in the greatest suffering a woman might ever know, out comes a bundle of joy. And then women sign up to do it again. (laughs) So, So when the hope outweighs the suffering, that's what we're looking for. Remember, remember, hey, remember your narratives, right? Remember Jesus? Jesus shows up at a wedding in Cana and performs his first miracle. What was his first miracle? He turned all the water into wine. What was his point? Was his point to provide adult beverages for the party? No, no, no. These people were oppressed by the Roman Empire, and he shows up, and in a non-subversive, non-treasonous way, what does he do? He tells them, you might be in the land of suffering now, but all the water's turning red. Hope flows through suffering. Take heart. This is not going to last forever. Hope flows through suffering. One of the biggest gospel messages that I, don't, I think doesn't get enough airtime is not just our local mandate, but our global mandate to confront oppression everywhere we see it. So, if we are called as Christians, the most basic thing, if you, if you, had to, if you were forced to summarize Christianity down to its most basic elemental thing, what is Christianity? Is it knowing the Bible? No. Is it, is it Bible studies? No. Is it church services? No. Although we embrace all those things. The most elemental thing of being a Christian is to be like Jesus. And so I went back and I looked at all four Gospels. And I read them all, all the way through. And I was looking for anywhere I could find where Jesus confronted oppression. And once I looked for it, I found it everywhere. Like there was this one time, there was this guy named Zacchaeus. He's up a tree. And Jesus stops the whole crowd to invite him to dinner. And it says Zacchaeus was so moved by the compassion of Jesus that he said, hey, I'm going to give half of what I have to the poor. And Jesus said, that's it. Salvation has come to this house. Is Jesus allowed to do that? By the way, when I ask you if Jesus is allowed to do something, the answer is yes. Is Jesus allowed to call someone saved because he gave half what he has to the poor? That's really unconvincing. Is Jesus allowed to call someone saved because he gave half what he had to the poor? Can you get saved that way? No altar call. No Romans 10, 9, and 10. No sinner's prayer that we made up in 1830. No temple visit, no sacrifice. Hmm. What was the only way for Zacchaeus to be saved in the first century? Temple ritual. Here's the problem with that. Who's not allowed in the temple? Tax collectors. So when the only way to be saved, you are forbidden from entering into the building, 
that exist for the only way for you to be saved, what hope do you have? That's called oppression. Jesus circumvents the entire oppressive system and he calls the man saved because he saw his heart change. That is in your face sort of stuff. That is Jesus confronting oppression at an incredible level. <laughs> There's this one time. It says Jesus went by a prostitute's house, <laughs> which leads to all kinds of questions like, is Jesus allowed to do that? <laughs> Another question I would have is, is there a worse place ever to run into Jesus? Because what would have been going on at a prostitute's house in the first century? Business, right? So Jesus is between customers. <laughs> you imagine? You imagine coming out of the back room and running into Jesus? That would be just awful, wouldn't it? Like, Oh, Jesus! Hey, man! I was just here to use the toilet. <laughs> and it says that the prostitute was so moved by the compassion of Jesus. What did she do? She knelt down and washed his feet with her hair. And what does Jesus say? That's it! All your sins are now forgiven. Is Jesus allowed... Can you get saved like that? <laughs> Can you get saved by washing his feet with your hair? Imagine hearing that testimony. How did you come to Jesus? I washed his feet with my hair. Well, how would we respond to something like that? But did you pray the prayer? Did you? What? No sacrifice, no altar call, no temple visit, no sinner's prayer, no Romans 10, 9, and 10. I know it surprises Christians that anybody got saved before the book of Romans was written, but they did. <laughs> And aren't you glad that's not the rule? You imagine all my bald brothers in the room. Imagine meeting her one day and her going, how did you meet the risen Christ? Like for you two to wash his feet with your hair, with all respect, would be a three-man job. You'd have to be turned upside down and used like a buffer. <laughs> Wait a minute. In the first century, what was the only way for that prostitute to be saved? Temple ritual. Who's not allowed in the temple? prostitutes. So when the only way for you to be saved is not available to you, that's called oppression. Jesus confronted the entire oppressive system, and he calls her forgiven without any of those things because her heart obviously moved. That is Jesus confronting oppression, man. There's so many of these stories. I want to tell you my favorite one now. It used to be my least favorite. The worst story to me in the whole Bible Hated the story. I, I, I've actually seen an edition of the NIV. I saw it my own two eyes or I wouldn't believe this. It was one of those hard copy. You know, people used to carry a hard copy Bible around, you know? And, um, and, and, and uh, at the bottom of this passage in John chapter 5, it, there was an asterisk that says, we're not sure this should be in the Bible. Because <laughs> it's such an awful story. It's terrible. It's called the Pool of Bethesda. I, I'll, I'll, I'll give you the, 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 the basics of it. Um, it, it says that just inside the Sheep Gate in Jerusalem, there was a pool called Bethesda. And occasionally, an angel would stir the water of the pool. And when the angel stirred the water of the pool, the first sick person in would get healed. Nobody else. Anybody okay with that? That's just awful. Here's how that presents God. That God's in heaven, and he's bored. He's like, get me an angel over here. There's not enough problems in the world. Angel, come! You see that pool down there? Yep. 
When I tell you, and only when I tell you, I want you to go stir the water of that pool. When you stir the water of that pool, we're going to heal one sick person and no one else will successfully create a race amongst afflicted people. This is going to be awesome because nothing gets my God heart beating like a bunch of crippled people trying to move fast. This is going to be hilarious. Lord, it's a terrible story. Then Jesus shows up and appears to participate. He picks a guy. He's been there 38 years. 38 years, that's a long time. That is a long time. It's almost my whole life. I'm 41, right? I, I know. I, lady at the back's like, 41? My God, what they do to you? It's, it's okay. I went gray early. That's okay. So, <clears throat> so they, they, this guy's been paralyzed 38 years. Imagine how long that is. It's almost my whole life. He's been sitting there. And if you remove your Jesus goggles, Jesus is sort of sarcastic, actually. He walks up to him and says, what's the matter, man? Water's not working for you? What? The 38-year-old, the 38-year paralytic goes, what are you talking about, Rabbi? You know the rules. Only the first one in gets healed. That jerk over there with a sore throat keeps jumping in for everybody else. I try to reason. I've been here forever. Let's take numbers. Let me go first. And they won't. Jerk with the sore throat always jumps in. Like, this story's terrible. I've actually never heard it preached on. If I could let you in on, a, on some secret conversations that pastors have, when we're not around anybody but other pastors, we sort of make a deal not to talk about it because it's just frankly terrible. And we hope that no one notices because it's just one of those horrible stories. <clears throat> Till I went to Israel. And if I could do a shameless plug for your Israel trip for next April, this changed my life. Um, here's what happened. Top history expert in Israel um, offered to mentor me for three days his, in history. And uh, took me around 14 hours a day, took me around. And um, one of the places we went was we walked by the Pool of Bethesda. He initially told me nothing about it. This is what we did. We walked by the Pool of Bethesda, and here's his exact words. Yeah, 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 that's the Pool of Bethesda. And then we walked away, right? I'm thinking maybe he has the same deal I have. It's too awful to talk about, so we don't talk about it. Here's the problem. He gave me permission to stop him, so I did. In your imagination, when I read the story of the Pool of Bethesda, or you read the story of the Pool of Bethesda, how big is the Pool of Bethesda? I'll tell you my imagination. My imagination was it was the size of this room, and it was about two feet deep. That's what I thought in my head. The reason is, is that if crippled people are trying to jump in, it's got to be small, right? Or people are going to die, right? Uh-uh. When he said, yeah, 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 that's the pool of Bethesda. Mm. Let me show you a picture of the pool of Bethesda. Come on. If you could hit that forward for me, please. There we go. This is a picture of the pool of Bethesda. The reason that photo is of such high quality is that I took it myself. <laughs> Photographers everywhere are trying to get somebody else's hand in their photo. It's awesome. Now, just to give you some perspective here, there's my laser pointer. See that guy right there? That's a grown man walking across a bridge. The Pool of Bethesda is 40 foot deep, 100 meters long, 35 meters wide. <laughs> 
Anybody see a problem with that? So my question was, how many people died here? He said, what? I said, follow me. Like, you're crippled, right? So you're sitting by the pool of Bethesda. And somebody says, angels, drink the water. And you're like, oh. Right? And you don't realize until you're in the water that you're number two. <laughs> you're so gone, bro. He looked at, the history expert looked at me like I had nine heads. He was like, are you kidding me right now? And I said, no, 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 follow me. You know, like, I don't understand what's happening here. He went, this was his exact words. You're joking. Everybody knows this. To which I played dumb. I was like, yeah, yeah. Because follow my logic, right? If everybody knows something and I don't know it, that literally makes me the dumbest person on earth. I finally admitted, I said, Ari, I, I don't know what you're talking about. And he asked me this question. He said, what God was ruling Jerusalem when Jesus walked the earth? I said, Roman Caesar. The, 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 it was Caesar worship. He said, correct. Second question. He said, you didn't think the angel in John chapter 5 was the angel of our God, did you? I said, it had crossed my mind. Yes. Yes. He went, no way. He said, Bethesda, he said, you're standing in the center of the ruins of the temple of Serapis. He said, Bethesda was a pagan temple. It was a pagan area. There was upwards of 40 pagan gods in Jerusalem in Jesus' day. There was Artemis. There was, um, um, there was Amun-Ra in the south, the goat god Pan in the north. There was uh, Addis, Adonis, Horus, Mithra. This was just one of many pagan gods that operated in Jerusalem under the authority of Rome. And he said, he said, Serapis was the Greek god of healing. He said, let, let me just show you. He said, you're standing on what used to be a building. And this was like their front yard, this huge Olympic-sized pool. But it, it had a flood problem. So sometimes it would flood and it would send water into the city. They didn't want that to happen. So they had to build a flood retardant, like a, a catchment area, um, to catch the water. Let me show you that. This is just on the other side. All I did was turn around. Um, this is the Pool of Bethesda uh, that, that's on the other side of the temple. This would have been available to the public. It is about the size of this room, and it is about two feet deep, three feet deep. You could see it there with the columns. You could see the hole, what they would do is when the big pool was getting too much water in it, they would move water to the small pool. Now, I want you to think about this. When they move water from the big pool that no one could see to the small pool where everybody was standing, what would happen to the water? It would stir, it would bubble. So what happened was, is that the Romans um, approached the priest of Seraphis and said, guys, um, let's tell the people that when the water stirs like that, it's the angel of Seraphis stirring the water. And then, um, and then we'll tell them that only the first one in gets healed. And people will pay a premium to sit closest to the water. It was Roman and Serapis oppression of the poor and the afflicted. They were paying a monthly fee to sit closest to the water. The priest of Serapis said, fine, but no one's going to actually get healed. It's going to be a problem. So what they did is they used a plant. They used someone who was already healthy, and um, they would tell them when they were going to do this, and then they'd jump in the water, and by the time they shouted, the water was stirring around them, and then they'd walk out healthy. The problem was they were already healthy. It was a ruse. It was, it was Roman and Serapis oppression of the poor and the afflicted. I said, now I can preach this. So, 
So Jesus walks into the center of people who are oppressing the poor and the afflicted, and without the help of stirred water, he picks the sickest dude in the whole place, 38 years paralyzed, and he heals him without the help of stirred water, essentially demonstrating, you all can sit around and be tricked by this for the rest of your life, but the God I serve doesn't do that, and he healed him without the stirred water. It was an in-your-face confrontation to the oppression that was present at Bethesda. So if you're going to call your church Bethesda, I love it. I do. As long as what you mean by that is, is this is where Jesus sets people free. This is where you can be set free from the confrontation of oppression. I, I, the, the, the history guy got done telling me the story. And I said this. I said, everybody knows that? <laughs> he goes, Shane, he was surprised. He says, Shane, are there people in this world that think it's the angel of our God? I said, there's a few. Mostly Australians. It's mostly Australians. <clears throat> they're, they're not with it. The, the Kiwis totally got it together. But, but, but Australians, no. I said, I said, where did you read that? <clears throat> he said, read it. Why? I said, because some jerk somewhere is going to ask me what my source is. And he went, Shane, I don't, I've lived here my whole life. I've never considered any. I know... I mean, when John wrote it, the people knew what it was. I mean, like, it's all over. He said, look, and he started pointing out half statues of Serapis. It's all over the place. It's even in the pool. See that yellow plaque in the pool? Let me blow it up. Now, the light is quite bright there, but I don't know if you could read that, but it says, Temple of Serapis. It's on a plaque in the middle of the pool. Everybody knows this. It gets worse. Next to the plaques, a billboard. <laughs> the billboard was huge. Let me show it to you. This is Bethesda. See up, see up here, Bethesda, right? This is where the pool of Bethesda is. And see right there in English, what does that say? Pagan medicinal bass. <laughs> it's on a billboard next to a plaque in the middle of the pool. Everybody knows this. Which leads me to this question. If we could be wrong about Bethesda, what else could we be wrong about? Maybe we need to open more discussions about God instead of closing them. Leads me to a couple of questions. What's driving you that you need deliverance from? For only this morning, I'm not not so concerned about the other side. I want to know if you're saved for eternity... Where do you still need salvation now? Let's say it that way. What are you doing to help free others from their slavery? If I, read the, if I read the scriptures correctly, this is what I find. That what you make happen for others, God makes happen for you. And the best way for you to be set free yourself is to actively participate in setting other people free. To actively participate in setting other people free. I, I look at these, uh, whatever you call these things, uh, big long, whatever. So I, I look at these, and I, you know, here's what I see when I see these things. I see infinite opportunity for you to use resources from one of the top eight richest nations on this earth to fulfill a global mandate to confront oppression everywhere, because here's the truth of it. 
If Jesus spent his life looking for people who were unfairly oppressed and he stood in the gap and he did in-your-face confrontations to oppression, if we are meant to be like Jesus, then we are meant to be using our resources to confront oppression everywhere we see it. Which leads me to this question. In the last 30 days, who have you done that for? How about three months? Like we would all say it's important. In the last three months, this year, since January 1st, where have we stood in the gap for somebody and confronted oppression? Or has the white noise of our life made us forget about the most important things, which is people who are oppressed that God cares about? I've indeed seen their suffering, and I'm going to come down and rescue them. Here's the thing. God uses people to rescue people. You know what? You never know when you show up somewhere where you are the blood and the water for them, that you are the physical manifestation of the divine, that you are what happens when hope flows through suffering. So, my brothers and sisters of Hamilton, may you be people who aren't just on your way to heaven when you die, but you're people who embrace the blood and the water. If you're in the land of suffering, I want to bless you with an encouragement that there's hope for your life. There is blood in the water. And the best way to experience that yourself is to be that for somebody else. May we be the people who confront oppression everywhere we see it. May we never, ever use resources only on ourselves, but may we use them to set other people free. I'd like to stop and give you an authentic invitation to tonight. I've got something special set aside for tonight at 6 o'clock. Come back tonight. It'll be well worth your time. It's a shorter service. Give us an hour and 15 minutes tonight or whatever it is. My part is not that long, but I think the whole service might be an hour and 15 minutes. Give us some time tonight, and I promise you it'll change your life. Listen. If you come tonight, if you set aside tonight, I can only come once a year, and I've got something special for you. If you set aside tonight and you come, and it doesn't change your life, I'll personally, out of my own pocket, I'll refund whatever they charge you to come, okay? So, so whatever it is, I'm not here. I don't, know what they call, I don't know what it costs to come on Sunday night. How would I know? I'm not here. Listen, whatever, whatever the admission fee is for you to come tonight, I, I, I'll give it back to you myself, all right? Till I see you tonight. Grace and peace, everybody. God bless. Thank you, Shane. Shane will be at his table out in the, the foyer if you'd like to look at some of his material. I, one of the things I really love and value about uh, this church is our focus on our global mandate. And uh, I really encourage you to start to think now and pray how you can sow into global mandate over the next 12 months. And, um, you know, we're seeing some incredible things happen around the world. And really, it can just be the beginning. You know, and, and the thing is, the legacy is eternal. It's not just for a moment, it's eternal. It's very, very exciting. Um, we're going to, as we finish, we're going to receive an offering for Shane. This is what he does. Uh, he, he lives by faith. And uh, we want to receive an offering to really bless him as he carries on from here. A, I probably shouldn't tell you yet because we haven't had this year's one, but I will. So we've got our School of the Spirit coming up on June the 20-something, or 23rd. We've got John Kens from Melbourne and... Daz Cheadle from Christchurch is going to be with us. Next year, 2018, Shane's going to do it for us. So just pop that in your diary. That'll be great. So uh, host team, could we please, if you'd like to prepare yourselves, if we could receive an offering for Shane, that would be fantastic. Then I want to declare God's blessing over us. Young adults are on camp this weekend. We were out there yesterday. 
I am sure they froze last night. Thank you for your generosity and thank you for being purposed in giving too. It really does empower us to do everything that we do as a church. So thank you. As you finish that, I'll pray. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you that you've stirred us, that you've challenged us. Lord, that as we see the side of your nature that confronts oppression, that you would stir something in each of our hearts. And Lord, my prayer as always is that wherever we are and whenever we're there, we would be like Jesus. And so I ask that you would, as you stir us, our hearts would be open to being stirred, that our hearts would be open to being changed, that we would allow you to lead us from glory to glory, that we would allow you to open our eyes to see people around us, not just as bodies, but as people, sons and daughters of God, and that we'd see through the veneer And we'd see people that are hurting, people that are desperate to know you as their Lord and Saviour. So wherever we are and whenever we're there this week, I ask that you would stir us, that you would fill us with courage so that we can be like Jesus. Amen. Thank you for coming out this morning. Have a great day. Make sure you say hi to a few people before you go.